Praise God. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Amen. Just a couple of days ago, amen, we celebrated the 70th anniversary of a day that's gone down in history as D-Day. Amen. It was one of the largest invasions in history. They tell us that about 150,000 men invaded, amen, trying to take back the land in Europe that had been taken by the country of Germany. Amen. It was not something that was done without opposition. In fact, they estimate there were around 9,000 men that were killed or wounded. They know for a fact there were 4,413 men that lost their lives that day. Amen. In one day of invasion. The generals, they claim that they were expecting up to 50% casualties. Amen. I, I couldn't imagine the responsibility of sending men like that into a battle expecting that half of them might not come back. But they realized that the only way to complete and total victory was to invade and take back what had been taken away from them. They went, a, went ashore in five separate beachheads. We know them as Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword. Omaha Beach, they claim, was the fiercest of the fighting. It was a very interesting beach. If you don't mind a little history lesson here to start this message. But it, it was a message. It, it was a beach that was very long. They had to come in because there were many obstacles. They came in with the tide out, and they had a long ways to go. And they had it very well defended, well-placed machine gun bunkers. And these men, many of them were wiped out before they even hit shore. There was many of these boats that sunk, and it was not an easy thing to do. Amen. There was a lot of obstacles. And you know, anytime you're going to try to have victory in life, you're going to come up against some obstacles. Amen. There's going to be somebody that tries to knock you back just a little bit. And, and these men, they came in right into the face of these machine guns. But one thing about them is they just kept coming. In fact, it, it was one of the first times in history that when the wounded men were actually taken forward because it was safer than trying to get them back out to the invasion vessels. And, uh, and it was quite the battle. But eventually, we do know that they established themselves on the beach. And uh, eventually, they got where they wanted to go. And the reason was is because there was no doubt in their mind that they were going to take that beach. They had made up their minds and they were not willing to give up. And they ran right in the face of the opposition. And they were determined that no matter what, they were going to take that beach. I tell you what, this morning we may not be in a physical warfare, but there is no doubt in my mind that we are in a spiritual battle. And it's going to take the same type of thing. We are facing opposition. There could be fear. There could be doubt. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I tell you, the only way to victory is to make up your mind that no matter what, I'm going to go all the way. No matter what the enemy throws against me, I'm going to see victory. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. But I'll just keep pressing on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I tell you what, the enemy would like to discourage you this morning and tell you that too many things are going wrong. But I tell you, you've got to make up your mind that I'm not going to give up. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to quit. 
Hallelujah. What would have happened that day if the first boat to go down, they would have turned around? The first airplane that got shot down. Uh, the first paratroopers dropped in the wrong place. Uh, I'm telling you, even though all kinds of things went wrong, uh, these men just dealt with it uh, because they wanted to see victory. Hallelujah, you can put the most perfect plan in place, uh, but that doesn't mean that everything is going to go according to your plans. Hallelujah, these men, there's these great generals that sat down and they spent many days, maybe weeks or months uh, planning out this invasion, but not everything went according to their plans. Many men were paratroopers dropped. Oh, I couldn't even imagine dropped in the wrong place. Many of them jumped without testing a certain type of equipment. They had these ba equipment bags and when they dropped them, the ropes broke and they landed with no weapons. Well, think about that. That's not where I'd want to be. In enemy country, with no rifle. Hey, man, things didn't go according to plan, but they just kept on going. Praise God. There's a man in the Old Testament, a very familiar story. A man by the name of Joseph, that favored child of Jacob, son of Rachel. His dad gave him that coat of many colors. He lived a relatively easy life. His brothers hated him. Now, I have one sister. Amen. I would hate to think that she hated me. Amen. But his brothers did not like him. And the reason they didn't like him is because he had had some dreams. He dreamed that him and his brothers were binding sheaves, and his brother's sheaves bowed to his. And having the dream wasn't the problem. The problem was he told his brothers his dream. Amen. He dreamed of the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing to this other star that was him and signifying his mother and his father and his brothers bowing to him. And it, boy, they didn't like that one either. Uh, they was upset with him, and he, but he had these dreams. And uh, no doubt in his mind, he began to plan out exactly how it was going to happen, how his brothers were going to bow to him. What he did not foresee was the day that his dad told him to go to Shechem there and find his brothers and see how things were going, and, uh, and his brothers see him coming. And they say, here is our opportunity. Because you know the time to get a hold of someone you don't like is when daddy's not around. And mama's not around. And there was no one there to protect Joseph. And so his brothers take him and rip off his coat of many colors. They throw him into a pit. I don't think that this is what Joseph was thinking about when he got those dreams. Well, praise God. His brothers pull him out of the pit only to sell him as a slave. He's taken <clears throat> to the land of Egypt. There he is sold to Potiphar. And there he dwelt in the house of Potiphar. Now he could have rebelled against life. He could have gotten a bad attitude about the situation he found himself in. Because he went from being this favored child 
to not being able to do anything for himself unless he is told to. Well, and so there he is. But we find in Joseph that there was something inside of him that no matter where he found himself in, he still tried to do the best that he could in the circumstances he found himself in. So instead of rebelling against the house of Potiphar, he worked so hard in the house of Potiphar that Potiphar put him as the head of his house. Potiphar came in and slept and he ate and he didn't have to worry about nothing because Joseph was taking care of everything. And life was back to being probably relatively easy again. And life was tolerable. And he could make his way through life. But all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife looks at him one day and desired him, came on to him, and he ran for his life. She grabbed a hold of his cloak, and he shrugged out of it and ran. And so then she's upset. So she begins to wail and cry, and they come in the house, and she claims that he tried to force himself on her. And so Potiphar's angry. Here's this guy that he's put at the head of his house, and all of a sudden his wife's saying these things about him. And so they take Joseph, and he throws him into prison. You know, there wasn't a trial with a certain amount of days placed upon him. He was in jail as long as Potiphar wanted him to be there. You understand the hopelessness of his position. There was no way for Joseph to get out of where he was. But once again, instead of sitting and feeling sorry for himself, and nobody would have blamed him if he would have felt sorry for himself. He had done everything he could. Someone lies about him, and now he's in prison. And he's in a hopeless place. But even there, he did not lose hope. And that day, there's no way that that could have been a part of his plan. I mean, he didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? God gave me this dream, and my brothers are someday going to bow to me. They're going to sell me as a slave. It's just part of the plan. And that ain't going to work out. They're going to throw me in prison. That was not his plan. And you know, sometimes we like to write the story of our life and make all our own plans. And when they don't start to work out, instead of just rolling with it, we sit back and begin to feel sorry for ourselves. I hope you don't mind if I preach to myself a little bit this morning. Amen. Because every one of us has been there. This didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And we sit back and say, well, where did I mess up? What did I do wrong? I tell you what, sometimes things just aren't going to work out. And we just got to get up and keep on going. There he was in prison. And all of a sudden he finds himself in a place of responsibility in the prison. And his life goes on and he's making the best that he can of his life. And one day there's a couple of new prisoners. Pharaoh had found disfavor with his butler and his baker, and he threw them in prison. And they, in the course of time, they had dreams, and they could not figure out the meaning of their dreams. Amen. And they were very upset about it. And so he come along, and he, he could tell that they weren't right. He said, well, what's wrong here? What, 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 what's going on? They said, we have dreams, and we cannot figure out the meaning of them. And, and Joseph said, it's not all interpretation. Come from the Lord. Tell me your dream. And so the butler said, well, he said, I went out, and I picked these grapes, and I put them in Pharaoh's cup, and I squeezed some juice, and 
took it and served it to him. And, and Joseph said, well, what your dream means is that in three days you'll be restored to your position. He said, you'll once again serve Pharaoh. And he had a request of the butler. He said, when you're out of here, please, please don't forget about me. Remember me. Remember where I'm at. And he said, oh, I'll never forget you. <laughs> never forget you. How could I forget the one that interpreted this wonderful dream? Well, the baker, I'm sure he got excited by this news. Because in his dream, he had these three baskets of bread and meats, and he had them on his head, and the birds came and began to eat out of the basket. He said, what does my dream mean? And I'm sure Joseph didn't want to answer him. Because he said, well, your dream means that in three days your head will be lifted from your shoulders and your body will be hung for the fowls to eat. And so three days later, the baker is dead. The butler's restored. But the minute the butler steps out of prison, he forgets all about poor Joseph sitting there in the jail. And life goes on as normal. I believe it was the space of a couple of years until Pharaoh in Genesis 41 has a dream and he's bothered by his dreams and, and he gets his wise men and his magicians to come together and they cannot interpret the meaning of his dream and all of a sudden the butler's memory begins to work again and he remembers Joseph and how he interpreted his dream he said I know a man that can do it they said well bring him here and so they go to the prison and they bathed him and he shaved his face and they changed his clothes. And he came before the presence of Pharaoh. And he tells him his dream. He said, man, I had, there were seven nice healthy cattle, cows, and, and then there were seven scrawny, nasty looking ones that came up. And they ate these seven healthy ones. And there were seven fat old good looking ears of corn and and I was dreaming of corn on the cob. No, not really. But these big old fat ears of corn. And there's these scrawny little ones that came and ate the, ate the big seven nice, nice ones. And they weren't changed. And, and he said, I can't understand the meaning of this. And Joseph said, your dreams mean one and the same. There's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. He said, you need to set yourself up a person in the seven years of plenty to gather together that we can survive the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh said, well, what's wrong with the man that's standing before me? And he takes Joseph from the prison the same day as put a second in the kingdom. There's one man more powerful than him, and that was Pharaoh himself. Now, according to the timeline that I can figure out, it was some 13 years from the day he was sold as a slave to the day that he is put second in command. 13 years of being a slave or a prisoner. 13 years of wondering, how's my dream ever going to happen? 13 years of having to live with trying to figure out what in the world is going on with life. 13 years of trying to encourage yourself every day. And now he is a powerful man. The seven years of plenty come and he gathers so much that they couldn't even number it. Read your Bible. He gathered a lot of food together. Then the famine came and was hard on the land. And... Uh, it reached down to the land where his brothers lived. And they came for food. 
bowed themselves to an Egyptian whom they did not know was their brother. And he began to mess with them, I guess you could say, and put their money back in their bags. They get home, and there's their money. And he just, he thought they were spies. He accused them of all kinds of things. And finally, in Genesis 45, he has them all, or actually in 44, he has them all together. In verse 45, he comes in verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Well, I imagine about right then, they went back in time 20-some years to a day they threw him into a pit and then drug him out of that pit and sold him. And all of a sudden, they're looking at this man that has the power to snap his fingers, and they are dead. And they were troubled at his presence. In verse number 4, Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Just in case they had forgotten. He's giving them a little reminder. I'm the one you sold into Egypt. They're like, here we go. Here we go. But verse 5, he said, Now therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. He said, I want you to understand something. Y'all are scared to death right now because all you can think about is that you sold me as a slave. But I want you to understand that it was not you that did it. But God sent me here. I'm going to tell you sometimes the things that we go through in life is because God is trying to take us somewhere. And God is trying to do something in my heart. And so he allows things to happen because he's got something for me to do. It wasn't because his brother sold him as a slave, but God knew what was coming in the future. And he took Joseph and prepared him. 
Now what would have happened if Joseph would have given up somewhere in them 20 years? I'm telling you, he didn't give up, but he kept pushing on. He kept pressing on. And there came the day when he saw his dreams fulfilled. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on the promises of God. If you haven't seen it yet, don't give up. But keep pressing over the trials hard. I tell you what, God is taking you somewhere. God has something for you. Hallelujah. Oh, we don't understand sometimes why we're where we're at. But I tell you what, we've got to keep our trust in God. That God knows what he's doing. And God knows where he's taking you. Hallelujah. My confidence can't rest in man. My confidence must rest in him. Hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah. There was a man that we know in Scripture as blind Bartimaeus. Now, I am relatively blind. Amen. Jerry needed glasses to see the other day, and I offered him mine. Amen, and he couldn't see very good with them. Amen. I'm blind. I can't see anything right now, really. But this man was born blind. He couldn't see anything. I can see some vague shapes and I can see light and I can kind of maneuver around without my glasses on but I can't see very good this man was born blind and there he sat by the roadside begging like he did every day but one day he heard some commotion he heard some noise he obviously had to ask those around him what was happening Somebody told him that Jesus was passing by. And somewhere along the line, somebody had told Bartimaeus about Jesus. And he knew that there were some other men that had had their eyes open. There were some other folks that had been healed of disease. And something rose up in Bartimaeus, and he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Yeah, those ones that were sitting by him, they could have been ones that sat by him every day. They told him to hold his peace. They were trying to get him to quiet down because he was making them uncomfortable. Oh, but Bartimaeus said, oh, you don't understand. This man has the answer. This man has what I need. And the Bible said he cried out the more. A great deal, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And I don't know how many times he had to yell it. I, I believe that he gave everything that he had. And he finally got the attention of Jesus. The Bible said that he stopped in the way. And he bid him to come. And he stood up and he cast his cloak off of him. 
He didn't want nothing to impede his progress. Didn't want nothing to stop him. Didn't want any tripping hazards. Amen. And so he got to Jesus and he said, what do you want? He said, Lord, I need my sight. <laughs> Jesus simply said to him, my faith hath made thee whole. Amen. And his sight came to him. What would have happened to Bartimaeus if he had listened to the ones around him? If he would have been concerned about who was there and who was getting upset. Peer pressure sometimes can be rough. Peer pressure can get tough. And the older I get, the more I realize that peer pressure stays with you your whole life. Amen. And his peers did not like what he was doing. But this man was desperate. He was tired of his condition. And he knew his answer was walking down that dusty road. And he got up and cast that cloak off of him. You know, sometimes it's absolutely necessary for us to cast off a cloak. We're carrying some things that could impede us from getting to God. And we've got to cast off that robe of our own righteousness. Oh. You know, sometimes it's necessary to admit that we need God. I've tried everything I can think of, and I just don't have the answer. And I can walk around with my head up like everything's okay, but I know down here it's not. I've got to get rid of that cloak and get desperate and press my way into the presence of God. Paul was an amazing man, taught by the very best of his day, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, called himself a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew the law inside and out. The Bible said that he made havoc of the church, opposed to this new thing that started on the day of Pentecost. When that Holy Ghost fell and filled them in that upper room. When Peter stepped out on the day of Pentecost and preached that Holy Ghost anointed message that pricked men's hearts and they realized that they had to do something. Oh, hallelujah. You know, sometimes when you get pricked in your heart and you feel conviction, it's telling you you've got to do something. What must I do? I've got to do something. I can't stay where I'm at. And these men were pricked in their hearts and said, Men and brother, what shall we do? What do I have to do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words that he testified, exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. You got to do 
it for yourself. You got to make up your mind that I'm going to be saved. Hallelujah. This spread like wildfire through the city. Amen. And these old Pharisees were upset. And they began to persecute the church. Amen. Paul held the coats when they stoned Stephen and consenting unto his death. He had Christians imprisoned. No doubt had some put to death. We know he was there when Stephen died. He, he was a man that was on a mission. Believing in his heart he was doing the right thing. Until a day that he wasn't content to stay where he was, but he wanted to spread this out to Damascus, and he was on that road when that bright light shone down from heaven. The voice spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And Paul said, Well, what would you have me to do? He was Saul at that point in time. And he sent him to a man of God to preach to him, a man of God that was a little bit nervous about Saul coming by his house. God spoke to him and said, I'm going to send this man to you. And he goes, God, do you understand who this is that you're sending to my house? Do you understand what he's been doing? And the Lord said, he is a chosen vessel unto me. I want to show him what things he must suffer for my name's sake. sometimes we look at people and say, man, I ain't messing with them. How do we know that they're not a chosen vessel unto God? You think someone wanted to go witness to Saul? Oh, hallelujah. He was obedient to God. He was converted. He spent time alone with God. He became a great teacher, an evangelist, a missionary, spreading the gospel, giving his life to the kingdom of God. We can read about some of the highlights of his life in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He said, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Five times he took the same beating that Jesus Christ did. Well, thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who wants to be like Paul? That was what Paul suffered for the kingdom of God. To spread the gospel. But something inside of Paul 
did not let him quit. No doubt they thought when they were beating him, this surely will make this man stop. When they put him in prison, surely locked up in prison, he can't do anything. But yet even locked up, he was effective for the kingdom of God. Because there was something inside of him that said, I will not quit. We read in our text in Philippians 3. Let me go back one more time. I almost forgot something. I believe that there were times in the life of Paul when folks came to him and reminded him of his past. In fact, there was a time when they were shipwrecked and when they got onto the seashore, they were collecting sticks for a fire. And as Paul threw his handful of sticks in the fire, a viper leaped out of the fire and latched onto his hand. Now Paul just shook it off back into the fire. But the men that were with him, they said, and this is my version of it, they said, this man escaped death in the sea. But the gods have taken care of him with this viper because surely he is a murderer. Well, what do you call somebody that helps somebody kill somebody? An accessory? He held the coat, stood there and watched as they stoned that righteous man. Well, reminding him of his past. But all he did is shook the viper off. And nothing happened to Paul. The enemy's going to come remind you of your past. Supposed friends will remind you of your past. You start to feel like you're getting somewhere and, and your confidence is building in your walk with God. And someone says, oh, you got like this before. You shake the viper off. You just shake the viper off and say, you know what? I may have failed before, but forgetting those things which are behind. I'm going to forget about the thing behind me. I'll forget about that failure. I'm going to press on. I'm going to press for the prize. I know I'm not perfect, and there's failure behind me, but there's a prize ahead. There's a calling of God ahead, and I'm going to press on. Oh, you can remind me of the failure all you want to. You can remind me of those things. But I know that God has something for me. And I've got my mind made up. I'm not going to quit. Woo. Hallelujah. You know, some people, oh, we love them. But all they can dwell on is the negative. All they remember is the negative all the time. And we talk with them 
And uh, you walk away. It's like, oh, my goodness. The world's coming to an end. I might as well go find a cave and hide. Well, they're going to remind you of some things. But that's just a viper. Shake the viper into the fire. Shake that viper off. And keep your mind fixed on that prize. Oh, but it's hard where I'm at right now. He didn't say it would always be easy. But he did say that he would never leave us nor forsake us. That he wouldn't push us off somewhere. Hey, I tell you what, he'll always be there no matter how hard it is. Because he's taking us somewhere. He's got something for you to do. And it's necessary for us to be where we are. But he's taking us somewhere. There's a big waterfall in the Columbia River Gorge where I grew up in the state of Oregon called Multnomah Falls. Big old huge one. I used to drive by it every day. Beautiful place. But there's a trail that you can walk all the way up to the top. And when you get up there, I'm telling you, it's, it's incredible. You see for miles and it's just a beautiful place to be at the top. But, you know, it's, a, it's an adventure to get there. It's a paved trail for most of it, and what's not paved is very nice, but it's, it's a good climb. And when you've got all the shape that I've got, it's even more fun. I took the youth group that I was over at that point in time there one day, and, and uh, a bunch of the girls were, wore their hiking shoes. They had flip-flops on. About halfway up the hill... They was whining and griping and complaining. I see you knew we was doing this. I wasn't very merciful. It's a hard climb. Most of them took them off and walked barefoot. It was easier. But it was a hard climb to get there. But once you got there, it was incredible. You know, sometimes the climb is tough. And we don't feel like we're adequately equipped for the climb. But we just got to keep going because there's a prize ahead if we don't give up. It's a little part of the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, that has stood out to me in time. Interpreter takes Christian to a, leads him to a palace. Inside this palace, there are people that are clothed in gold and it's a beautiful place. It's, it's, just, it's a glorious place. And, and outside of this palace, there's a bunch of men that are wanting to go in. At the gate, there was a man taking down names of those who would enter in. But in the doorway, there were armed men who were fighting to keep out anybody who would like to enter. So there were a bunch of men <clears throat> standing around scared of the attack that was facing them if they wrote their names down. And so they were just standing there until a man came up and stopped at the table, wrote down his name. He turned and looked at the door and he drew his sword. The book says that he gave and received wounds. 
but he fought his way inside of the palace. Interpreter looked at Christian and he said, it is not enough to wish to go in. It is not enough to have your name written down. You must fight through. It's not enough to wish to do something for God. It's not enough to wish you're going to make it to heaven. Somewhere we've got to get the determination that we are going to fight through. Hallelujah. It's pretty interesting. Part of growing up in Oregon, of course, and we had to study Oregon history. And one of the most significant parts of Oregon history actually begins not too far from where we are right now. That, of course, is the Oregon Trail. It is quite the amazing story to read about these folks. They say it would cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,000 for the trip. Yet most people in that day only made a dollar or two a day. But somehow they would come up with this money, get tired of the life they were living, would sell everything they have to buy a wagon, usually oxen, supplies. Wagons, they said, depending on which wagon they had, they could carry somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,600 to 2,500 pounds. Now, I can assure you in the move that I just did, I, I far surpassed that. Amen. Praise God. Just my books weigh that much, I think. <clears throat> Praise God. But they, they bought this and they bought supplies and they, and they started across country. A 2,000-mile journey that I have made in two days before. It would take them, on average, somewhere around five months. Making some days a good day was 20 miles, a little more maybe. And some days they never left camp. And some days they'd just make it a little ways. Fighting through mud, fighting up hills, fighting down hills in wagons with no brakes. I've driven that. That's not fun to think of doing it without brakes. But they fought on because they were desirous of going somewhere. They estimate there was 200,000 people that traveled the Oregon Trail. With 10% of them, 20,000 estimated, died on the journey. They faced all kinds of dangers. They faced attacks by Native Americans. They faced attacks by outlaws. They faced poisonous bites by snakes. They, they, they faced sickness with no physicians. Injuries. Folks died from falling out of wagons. Folks died. One of the crazier ones that I read about was because a cow ate a poisonous weed and they drank the milk. The poison was in the milk and they died from it. All kinds of things that they faced because they had a dream. They knew that if they got to Oregon, they would have 160 acres of farmland for free. You wouldn't get it for free nowadays, I promise you. Amen. But they kept going, facing all kinds of things. Rivers that were flooding that they had to ford across. Just danger after danger, hardship after hardship, trying to make it. They, they had their wagons loaded with their favorite possessions. But yet they would hit places in the trail where their, their oxen or their mules would start to weaken because it was dry. And they were trying to get through dry areas. And, and the wagons just weighed too much. 
In fact, they say most of the people that traveled this trail walked the entire distance beside their wagon because they had a dream. They had a goal in mind, and they would not give up. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, on that journey there, there came times in those dry areas where that set of books that had been passed down from great-grandpa, they started looking at him and said, you know what, I really don't need that to farm in Oregon. And they'd take those books out and set them in a dry place a lot of times with the intention of coming back for them. That dresser that, boy, it was mine when I was a baby. Had it for years. They looked at it and said, you know, there's big trees in Oregon. I can build another one. And that would get shoved off to the side. Why? They were trying to lighten their load that they could make it to their dream. You know, there's some things that we need to lighten our load. But it's not sin. No, I didn't say it was. He said, lay aside every weight and the sin. There's some things that just weigh us down. Now, you can tell by looking at me that I'm not a runner. I told Brother Jerry the other day we, we saw a runner, and I said, you know, I've never woke up in the morning in my life. I said, you know what, I think I'm going to go run. That just never crosses my mind when I get up in the morning. It's, I die before I hit the mailbox. It, it just, it's just not my deal. But if I was going to run, I'd find the lightest shoes I had. And I would not fill my pockets full of stuff. And I wouldn't find a backpack to stuff some weight in. But I'm going to get the load as light as possible. Because trust me, I'm carrying enough the way it is. And if we're going to make it in this journey and press our way to the prize, there's some weights that we need to set aside. Because I want to see that prize. I've got to make it. You know, those old soldiers, when they went in on D-Day, they left behind a lot of things so they could lighten their load. Because what they were doing was hard enough. I don't want some weight to be the cause of me not making it to my prize. Hallelujah. One last story I'd like to tell. We all know about this man called Peter. We find in Acts chapter 12 that James has just been killed, martyred for the kingdom of God. And because it pleased some folks, they took Peter as well and they 
imprisoned him. They turned him over to four quaternarians or something like that. Basically 16 soldiers to guard him. Taking turns, no doubt. And Peter is sleeping. He is chained to a guard on either side. And an angel comes up and smotes him on the side and tells him to get up and get his sandals on. And uh, he gets up and begins to walk. They pass through the first and second ward, and they're headed towards a big iron gate that led out into the city. Now, the Bible says that the gate opened before him. They never had to touch it. But it doesn't tell us at what point the gate opened. It just says that as they walked through, the gate opened before them. What would have happened to Peter if he would have seen that gate and stopped and just looked at it? He said, man, I don't have the key to that thing. How am I going to get that gate open? What would have happened is eventually those guards would have come and they'd have chained him back up again and then he too would have lost his life there. But because he kept walking, at some point, the gate opened up. This morning, you may be staring at a gate. You feel like you're locked up. You don't have the freedom, the liberty that you want. Feel a little bit chained up. I tell you, today would be a good day to start walking. It'd be a good day to start walking towards that gate, trusting that God is going to open it in the right time. All Peter could do was just keep walking. All he could do was walk towards that gate. And all we can do this morning is make up our minds that we're going to keep walking. I'm going to keep pressing. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how close I'm going to have to get. But I know that if I keep walking, that gate's going to open before me. You know, those children of Israel, they, they sat there at Jericho and those walls were so great. And all they were told to do was walk. And I can imagine that day they're walking seven times around the city. Six and a half times around. There, nothing's changed. Why are we doing this? But they kept walking. Till they heard the sound of that trumpet blast. And they shouted and the walls came down. But I'm telling you, if they would have stopped after six and a half laps. We may not have the same story written. But they had to keep walking. Peter had to keep walking. Oh. I went hunting with my, we used to go hunting every year. My dad and my uncle, my grandpa. And usually, I hunted with my uncle. Because we would do really fun things like hear my dad elk calling and we'd call back at him and call him in. (sighs) 
we really did do that one time. Thought it was the funniest thing in the world until Dad told us that there was an actual elk answering him down in the next canyon over. We couldn't hear it, and he, we were closer, so he came for us. He comes sneaking through the woods. He's like, did you see the elk? I said, we were the elk. But we always usually hunted together. But this day, for some reason, I was with my grandpa. And we were out in the woods, hunting through there, and we came to a certain place. We was trying to get back to the truck. And my grandpa, I was like 13 years old, knew everything. We got in a discussion of which way to go at a certain place, and I insisted that we came from this one direction. So we headed off in that direction, and it was not the right direction. My grandfather is in very good shape, very, very good shape. He still works out three days a week at the gym, still has a six-pack, and he is... Uh, pushing 80, if he isn't 80 already. I forget his age exactly. I found, I got a picture this last week that he showed he still has his six-pack. I've always told him a keg is bigger than a six-pack, but but he could walk, but he'd get way ahead of me. I was short then. I, I'm still short, but I was really short then. I I didn't hit my growing spurt till I was like 16. I was about five foot two. And I'm trying to keep up with him, and he's getting way ahead of me. He'd stop, wait for me to catch up. The minute I caught up, he'd take off again. And I never got a break. I was wiped out. And we're walking and walking and walking and walking and walking. I don't know how many miles we walked, but we finally didn't make it to the truck about two or three hours after we were supposed to. We just kept walking. And my grandpa, he, he wouldn't carry none of my stuff for me either. Me and my dad did that one time. By the time we got to the truck, he was carrying my bow. He was carrying my pack. I just had to carry myself. Granddad wasn't that way. Granddad said, you brought it, you carry it back. So I was trudging along behind him. And we eventually made it there. Because we kept walking. There was a prize, a goal ahead of us we could have sat down under some tree and waited and seen if dad and my uncle wouldn't come find us but really the only way to get back to the truck was just keep walking just keep walking we've got our eyes fixed on a prize I'm telling you this morning the only way we're going to get there is to keep walking and keep pressing. If you'd stand with me this morning. Mm. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. Maybe it's just myself. But the opposition's going to come. The obstacles are going to arise. The walking's not always going to be easy. In that little hike I took with my grandpa, we went up hills, down hills, through trees, around trees, over rocks, around rocks. We hit a road and we walked down this road forever. Same like. But we had to keep walking. Trip and stumble and fall. Well, you just get up and keep walking. <laughs> 
your prophet said rejoice not against me oh my enemy when I fall not if but when I fall I shall arise the tragedy is not in the falling the tragedy would be in the not getting back up again get up dust off your knees and just keep walking though the fighting might be fierce the only way to victory is to keep walking keep pressing there'll be some days you feel like running there's some days you'll only be moving at a crawl but the thing is we've got to just keep moving and keep pressing the vipers are going to jump out of the bushes they're going to jump out of the fire shake the viper off and just keep pressing on one thing I can't do for myself is go back and relive my life the past is going to be there but you know what I brought it to the altar one time <laughs> I brought it to the altar and let the blood of Jesus cleanse me it's been blotted out I don't have to worry about it anymore there might be someone come and remind me of it, but I'll tell you what, he has forgotten it. So I'll just keep walking. I'll just keep pressing on because I know that he's got me going somewhere. I can't see the end. I don't know what's coming, but I'm just going to keep walking. I'll just keep pressing. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't know what it's got in store for walking if it's one of those bad days i'll just take another step and if it's hard i pray god give me the strength but somehow i've got to keep pressing on i've got to keep pressing on i can't quit i can't quit i'm too close to home i can't quit all just bow our heads right now oh Jesus the journey seems so hard sometimes the road seems so long I tell you we just got to take one more step There's a story told about some that escaped in World War II times. They went, walked on foot for over 3,000 miles. They said the goal was way too big. They had to break it down. Some days it was a rock three steps ahead of them. When they got there, they made themselves another goal. But they just kept moving. Tree up ahead, they dug their eyes on it, and that was their goal. But they kept walking. Our goal is heaven, but maybe we just need to bring our eyes down a little bit and have a goal of making it through today, make it through tomorrow. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on him today. I'm going to keep pressing towards him today. I'm not going to worry about what happened yesterday, but today I'm just going to keep pushing on. I'm going to keep pressing on. I've got to make it today. I can't worry about what's going to happen next week or next month. Right now, I've got my mind made up that I'm going to make it today. 
you've got to push on today. Press on towards the prize. Hallelujah. At the close of this service, can we all just step to the front for a few moments today and talk to the Lord? Can we commit ourselves to just going on? Going on. I feel like going on today. I feel like taking one more step. The trials are coming. I'm in the middle of it, and it seems like the fighting's so hard. But I feel like going on. I feel like taking one more step today. I feel like drawing just a little closer to him right now. I feel like going on. I'm still trusting. I'm still pressing on. I'm going to take one more step. I feel like God gave me some promises. I haven't seen them yet. But I'm not giving up hope. I feel I'm just going to keep on. I'm just going to take another step. Just going to push a little closer. I've got to press on. I feel 